Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup podcast. My name's Joe Glover. It's really, really great to have you here. I hope you're doing great. This episode is featuring George Gangar from uh, Impression, an agency based up in Nottingham who I've got an immense amount of respect for. Impression have been on the scene for, I don't know, even like between the last five to 10 years. And in this time, they've built an agency that is built on, on morals, but also really great quality work. Um, they're run by someone who happened to be a school friend not in the same way as like an Eton school friend just like a person who went to the same comprehensive school as me uh, and then over the years we sort of stayed in touch and they got in touch about uh, sponsoring the marketing meetup a long time ago but actually uh, the thing that makes me proudest is that he's just doing a really really great job um, so you know it's, it's just an absolute pleasure to be able to put someone from uh, Aaron uh, who runs the company's uh team on the stage and say you know what here you go uh you know a real full full circle moment for me uh this episode focuses on knowing what you don't know it's a very markety episode in that we're speaking all about marketing strategies and how when you build your strategy then what you're doing is a lot of the time actually building a strategy based on assumptions in this episode, George takes the time to propose an idea on how you can actually start to take assumptions out of your strategy building and therefore start to build a strategy that makes more sense, that is built on bricks rather than straw, uh, that, that stands the test of time and actually starts to build significant results. It's a uh, super markety, but in a good, good way. Um, before we get going with today's episode, I also just want to say a big thank you to the sponsor for today's episode, who are Third Light. The best way to describe Third Light is that they help people collaborate better. Uh, the way that they do that is through a DAM solution, which means that they help people arrange their assets in a way that uh, make them super searchable, super findable, and also make it easy to collaborate with one another. Their client list includes people like the Royal Albert Hall, uh, AS Roma, uh, and some of the largest companies in the world. Honestly, for a company based out of Cambridge on the business park, They've got the most ridiculous client list you've ever seen in your life. So if your files and your assets are a little bit disorganized, it's well worth checking out Third Light. Big fans of them, completely love people, and yeah, just a total family feel. So uh, that's it from me. So I'm going to hand over to George now, and I just really hope you enjoy today's episode. Take care. the introduction um, and it's great to be speaking to everyone today. Um, as James mentioned, my name is George Gangar um, and I'm the head of digital strategy here at Impression. And the role of our team really is to work with our clients to understand their business objectives and use data and insight to help achieve them. Now, with my very mysteriously titled talk today, I'm hoping to achieve two things. The first and possibly the most important one is to make you glad that you got up early, depending on where in the, work you are, where in the world you are, uh, before work potentially to dial in. And I'm very grateful for you, to you for doing so. Um, and secondly, to provide you with a practical exercise that you can hopefully apply when developing strategies of your own, regardless of the size of your business. And hopefully we can have a little bit of fun along the way. Okay, so let's jump into it. How do we plan digital campaigns? Well, when planning digital campaigns, 
as we've already mentioned, the focus is firmly on the data and rightly so. I'm sure we've all heard and probably spoken ourselves about the importance of being data-driven and insight-led when it comes to creating digital, digital strategies. And that's absolutely true. Of course, we should do our due diligence and ensure that we're making decisions that are to a greater or lesser extent based on evidence. However, whilst we tend to create strategies based on the data that we do have, the data that we don't have can be just as valuable, but often gets overlooked. There's also often a lot more data that we don't have than we do have. The reality is, no matter how much we know about our customer, our product, our channels, all of our strategies are based on assumptions. And as we've mentioned in this talk, what we're gonna be talking about is how we can not only identify those assumptions, but turn them into optimization opportunities that will help us hopefully improve future campaign performance and ultimately meet those business objectives. Okay, so now I'd like you to humor me for a moment as I regress back to my former self as a young and impressionable philosophy undergraduate, whilst I talk to you about this fantastically eyebrowed person called AJ Eyre. So AJ, met, AJ Eyre was a member of, the, of a group called the Logical Positivists. Now, I'm not gonna go into what the logical positivists had to say on things because it's far too early in the morning for all that and I'd probably get it wrong anyway. But there is one thing that I wanted to talk to you about that the air had to say. And that's what he called the verification principle. And what the verification principle basically says is that something only has meaning if it can be verified with evidence. If a statement can't be verified with evidence, then it's meaningless. It's not even incorrect because it can't be tested. It's meaningless. According to Air, you literally might as well be talking nonsense. So that was what Air had to say on the matter, and it caused quite a stir at the time. Then this person came along, called Karl Popper, who came up with a new idea called the falsification principle. And this expands on what Air had been saying with the verification principle. And he argued that for a statement to be considered meaningful in the scientific sense, then it must be able to be tested and conceivably proved false. So the classic example of this is the hypothesis that all swans are white. So according to Popper and the falsification principle, this statement has meaning. It's not necessarily correct, but it has meaning because in theory, it could be proved false by observing a black swan. Okay, so if you're currently wondering what the hell does all of this have to do with planning digital campaigns, then that is a very fair question. And again, I thank you for humoring me. But I do think we can apply elements of these principles to the way that we go about building digital strategies. And what I'm going to do now is try to explain what I mean by that. And to do that, I want to ask a question. And that question is, if we put together a strategy or a plan and execute it, how do we know if our strategy was the right one? So one thing that we might jump to is something we've already mentioned a couple of times, our business objectives. If we execute on a strategy and meet our business objectives, then we must be doing something right. 
right? Well, yes. To an extent, it's true to say that if we meet our business objectives, we're probably not going to be hugely unhappy about it. But at the same time, we know that many different things can impact our ability to achieve our business objectives. You know, macroeconomic factors like the housing market, unemployment, or a global pandemic can all play a massive role in our performance, even if our strategy had a lot of merit. So it might be overly simplistic just to judge our strategies based on our ability to meet our business objectives. You know, if we want to take an extreme example, if, we, if you were running a digital campaign for an airline company at the start of the pandemic, it doesn't really matter how good your strategy was to begin with, it was always going to be pretty impossible to meet your original business objectives. Now, I know that is a pretty extreme example, but I think it's important to acknowledge that there isn't a perfect relationship between the validity of your strategy and your overall performance. Don't get me wrong, it's pretty damn important, but it's not the only thing to take into account. And to understand why, I think it's helpful to consider what strategies actually are. So fundamentally, I'd argue that a strategy is just a collection of ideas. Now, as best practice, we'd always say that you want those ideas to be aligned to your business objectives and based on insight. And those ideas can cover a range of different things. You might have ideas on what creative messaging is going to work best or who your priority audience is. Ideas on channel mix, budget and pricing are probably all gonna come up too. But the point that I really want to make is that no matter how good your, your insight or your data, the chances are that a lot of these things or at least large elements of these things are going to be based on assumptions. And that doesn't have to be a problem as long as we always maintain awareness of the fact that that's what's going on. And that can be quite a difficult counterintuitive thing for us to accept. And a lot of the time, I think we try to brush over the fact that these big assumptions are being made. And actually that can do more harm than good. And personally, I find that the best way to maintain that awareness is to re reconceptualize these things that make up our strategies, not just as ideas, but as hypotheses. And the key difference here is that whilst we still want our hypotheses to be aligned to our business objectives and based on insight, what we also want is for them to be measurable with a clear KPI. If we think back to the hypothesis that all swans are white, the reason that this statement had meaning was because there was a clearly defined way in which it could be measured and evaluated. It still might be wrong, but the point is that we have a way in which we can find out if it is. And I think we should apply the same logic to our digital strategies. Okay, so here's another way to think about it. First, we start with an insight. In other words, we start with the data that we do have. From that insight, we develop a hypothesis. In other words, what we think is going to happen. Then we run our activity and get some results about what actually happened. And this is the data that we didn't have before. And then from those results, we decide what we want to change for the next round of activity and how we can optimize based on what we've observed. In other words, the results from our first round of activity become the insight 
for the next and form the basis of a new hypo hypothesis. So what we're basically saying is that the difference between what you thought was going to happen, which was your hypothesis, and what actually happened is the room that you have to optimize. And from going from your insight to your results, you're going from the data that you did have to the data that you didn't have and making sure that you're using that in your next round of activity. And taking a structured approach to that is a very small change you can make, but one that I believe can have a massive impact on the overall performance of your activity. Okay, so I appreciate that slightly ironically, we've been taking quite a hypothetical approach up until this point. So what I'd like to do now is talk you through a practical exercise that I'd used previously to help people formulate hypotheses. So in the past, um, I've run a training program for digital strategists. And we'd go through all sorts of different training sessions um, and interactive workshops to teach them how to go through each stage of a planning process. You know, all the way from interrogating a brief, conducting market research, building out strategic recommendations. It was a pretty detailed program and throughout its duration, participants would be tasked with responding to a dummy brief. And we often pick something fun like planning for the launch of the new iPhone or something like that. The whole thing lasted about two to three months and we'd get to the end and people would have built out some really impressive and detailed digital strategies. You know, lots of slide decks, lots of frameworks, all the good stuff that we love. Um, and then as one of the final exercises, we'd say to them, okay, now summarize your strategy in just five bullet points. And at first they'd look at you probably thinking, are you serious? I've just spent months putting all of this together. And now you're asking me to summarize it all the way back down to just five bullet points. But we'd say, think about the five key ideas that make up your strategy. You know, it's the, it's the classic elevator pitch style question. You have 60 seconds with the senior stakeholder and you need to explain what you're recommending we do. And then we'd say, okay, now take those ideas and fill out this table. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to tell us what insight was that idea based on? So why are you suggesting it in the first place? What was the data that you do have? What did you know? What hypothesis you're making with that idea? So what do you think is going to happen? And how you're going to measure whether or not that happened in actuality. And often we'd get something back like this. So um, when we conducted, I'm taking the example of the, the iPhone launch here, right? Um, but really I think this could work with any size of business. Um, the one thing that came back was that students were going to be a priority audience for this, this campaign. That was something that always got, got surfaced by the trainees. And the insight that they found was that um, according to market research um, and consumer polling, um, students over-index for being 
what was referred to as Apple brand fans. So the hypothesis off the back of this was that if you target students with your digital campaigns, they're going to drive the highest number of sales and the lowest CPA. And to measure that, really straightforward, you're just going to look at the overall sales volume and CPA of that audience versus your other audiences. It's really straightforward, which works well. We've got an idea that's based on an insight and can be translated into a hypothesis with a clear measurement methodology. And the key thing is that if this hypothesis proves to be true, then one thing we might do off the back of it is focus our efforts more heavily on students the next time around. You know, there's different things that we could do. We might run more creative that's targeted specifically at students who are going off to university, or we might emphasize um, the fact that we offer a student discount. Um, we might allocate more budget to platforms that we know that students are more present on. So things like I don't know, Snapchat or TikTok. There's all sorts of different things that we could do if we saw that our hypothesis that students drive the highest number of sales and the lowest CPA proved to be correct. But if the hypothesis proved to be wrong, then we can do a similar thing. And we've still gained information there. We've still gained data that we didn't have before. And so what we might decide to do is shift our budget to a different audience. We might have had another insight that we decided not to go with this time that parents, for example, were a key audience. And that was something that came out. Parents in the build up to Christmas buying their children new iPhones was a very key audience for them. So what we might decide to do, if actually this hypothesis was wrong, and it wasn't students, but it was parents who drove the highest number of sales for the lowest CPA, we might reallocate our budget to that audience the next time around. But again, that hypothesis being proved right or being proved wrong becomes the insight for the next cycle of activity that we're going to run. And the whole, whole cycle starts again. So this works well because there are potential optimization opportunities that we might unlock as a result either way. But the point is that it will go either way or could go either way. But sometimes we'd go through a process like this. So idea, insight, hypothesis, and then we'd get to measurement and they'd be unsure. So if we take this example, the idea is that we should promote the iPhone as an aspirational purchase. So this is, these are actual examples that we got um, from the trainees. Um, and okay, cool, that's based on the insight that from our research, we can see that our audience cares about the social status that, that is gained from having the latest iPhone. Okay, so that works. And we can either, even make a valid hypothesis out of it. Um, and that is that consumers will buy the iPhone if it seemed to be a luxury lifestyle accessory. So again, that could be proved, theoretically could be proved, could be right. But when we get to measurement, we'd ask, how are you actually going to validate that hypothesis? You know, it's a, it's a pretty tricky one. First of all, you need to determine whether or not consumers consider the iPhone to be a luxury lifestyle accessory. And then you need to determine the overall impact that having such an opinion had on that consumer's propensity to convert. 
those are the two things you'd need to establish in order to prove that hypothesis one way or another. Now, I'm not saying it's an impossible hypothesis to test, but it would most likely take a lot of consumer surveying, possibly some brand studies, maybe some focus groups to answer, which is absolutely fine, except you've not mentioned any of that in your proposal so far, and you've not, any, not allocated any budget for it either. So at this point, what we might do is go back and reflect on whether or not the potential impact of validating this hypothesis would be worth the overall cost to do so, which it might be. But if it's not, and we're not actually gonna go through the cost required to measure it, then when it comes to optimization, it's going to be relatively meaningless to us because it's not giving us any additional information because we're not proving it or disproving it either way. So coming back to what we were saying about something needing to be able to be proven or disproven or verified or falsified either way, that's what we're talking about when we're saying it needs, that needs to happen in order for us to use it in our optimization. So by going through this process for each of the key ideas that you're putting forward, you should be able to refine them into a set of clear and measurable hypotheses. And it should help shed light on those areas that might sound good initially, but on further inspection are unlikely to help you with your optimization efforts once the results start coming through. And that might be because the way that you're structuring it won't yield conclusive results, or it's very unlikely to yield conclusive results, or you're not actually going to be putting a, the relevant measurement solution in place to get to an answer on whether or not your hypothesis was right or wrong. And you know, the hypotheses and measurement solutions, they don't need to be completely groundbreaking. Like, if they are, then great. But in fact, I found that going through this process actually helps refocus your efforts onto the fundamental building blocks of your strategy that are going to really impact your success. So as I said, that's the practical exercise that we often go through when training people in the best practice of digital strategy. And hopefully it's something that you might find useful to do yourselves. So now what I wanna do is bring it back to our question. How do we know if our strategy was the right one? Well, it's really difficult. As we said earlier, there are a huge number of factors that can impact the success of our strategy. So looking at overall performance alone might not be the best way to do it. But what we can do is break our strategic recommendations down into a few fundamental hypotheses and evaluate whether or not those were in fact the right recommendations to make in the first place. In my opinion, the best thing about this approach is the fact that it allows us to get things wrong as we know why they're wrong and then we can use that to improve the next time. My favorite example of this is forecasting. Pretty much the only thing we can be certain about when going through a forecasting process is that the forecast is going to be wrong. But that's okay, because it's impossible to predict exactly what's going to happen when your marketing activity goes live. And pretending otherwise, and this is really the key thing for me, pretending otherwise is only going to do more harm than good. You know, if you're building your business strategy around a forecast that you know is likely to be wrong to a greater or lesser extent, but you're treating it as gospel, that probably isn't going to end very well. So 
the key is remaining aware of the fact that it probably will be slightly wrong. If we can remain aware of the things that we don't know and keep track of the assumptions that we're making, then even if things don't go exactly as planned, we might just be able to get things a little bit less wrong the next time around. Thanks very much. <laughs>